0: All right, well, I got no more time now for the sermon, but um, we should be good. Um, So we are going to start, we're kicking off a new series um, on Acts. This is going to take us up to Advent. We won't look at the whole book uh, because we don't have that much time, but we are going to look through much of the book of Acts reflecting Jesus um, in our world. And so uh, we're going to kick off with Acts 1, verse 1. And so I invite you to hear these words from Luke. Luke writes, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, it has been a beautiful week here, and we give you praise for that. We thank you, Lord, for the season as the fall fest in Zionsville yesterday and the continued reminders, Lord, that a new season is upon us. So we pray, God, that it would be a time for us to look back, but also to look forward to ask who it is that you have called us to be and where it is that you have called us to go. We pray, Lord, that through your grace we will be found faithful. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So in some ways, it's a little bit hard to jump right into this particular story, which is why I think Luke kind of begins by doing a brief recap. This is the second book, as you may know, that Luke has written. The first book that he wrote is called Luke, huh? That's good. That's good. And uh, simple questions, simple answers. That's right, it's Luke. And so then he's writing the second book now, the second letter to Theophilus. and that's the book of Acts. And so just in case perhaps Theophilus had forgotten uh, a little bit of what was happening, uh, Luke kind of just quickly lets him know that this was remembered, who Jesus was, that Jesus was the one who came, the Messiah, the one who suffered. Uh, but he came to earth, he died, but then he was raised again from the dead. And, and Luke goes on to tell us that there were many proofs that, were, uh, that Jesus did in order to help show the disciples that he really was alive. I'm always a pre- appreciative of the fact that, uh, that, that Luke tells us that, because my guess is it would have been hard to have really believed, because most of us have not seen a dead person be raised again, right? Right, right? At, nor would they have, right? This was not as if these things happened back then, right? And so the proofs were there in order to try to help them to understand, in order to gird up their faith. As you can imagine, the disciples must have been over the moon at this point. I mean, here they were. I mean, talk about an emotional roller coaster. Things were great. They thought everything was great with Jesus, and then all of a sudden he died, and they went into the depths of depression. They scattered. You can imagine how they were feeling. And then all of a sudden, they begin to see Jesus again, again and again over these 40 days. And we're told that they gather together. The NIV translates it that they were eating, eating together, and they were talking about the coming kingdom. All of these things are going great. They're in a great place. And then they asked the question that they frequently asked, which was to Jesus, is this the time when your kingdom is finally going to come? Now, my guess is that they realized that Jesus was probably not going to answer that question because they'd asked this question um, several times before. And so, again, Jesus says it's not for you to know. And so they probably looked at one another, and they were like, ah, Peter, good try, maybe next time. And they went back and forth. Then Jesus went on. And Jesus said, but you will receive power. Right? Well, that's a great thing. All right, great. Who doesn't want power? Okay, this is a good thing. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. All right, fantastic. I mean, the Holy Spirit it can be a little mysterious at times, but that's good. And then he goes on and says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? And they said, well, you know what? We like to travel. This sounds great. Sure, why not? This is great, right? Everything's going wonderfully. And they're probably thinking about how great this is going to be as they all gather together. They go to all these places with Jesus. It's going to be fun. And then Luke says, right after he said those things, not like a few minutes later, not a few days later, but right after Jesus has told them this, that all of a sudden he begins to go up in the clouds into the sky. Can't you imagine what the disciples were thinking? I mean, my guess is it's much like when you let a helium balloon go, and you just kind of sit there, and you just try to—I you, you, think I still see him, right? He's, no, there he is. And, and, and my guess is—and it says they kept looking up, which I love, right? Of course they did, right? Because it's one of those things I get the feeling where if they realize, if they stop looking up and they look down, they are—all of a sudden, reality is going to come flooding down, right? And they're going to be like, are you kidding me? you are who I'm left with, right? And so they just keep looking up, right, until finally two men, were told, dressed in white, come up and say, what are you staring at, right? They kind of snap them out of this gaze that they were doing. What are you looking at? He's coming back, but he's, he, he's not coming back right now. And so finally, to the disciples' credit, they decide to look down, and they begin then to go to Jerusalem where Jesus had told them to go in order to wait for the Spirit. And as they gathered in that room, I am quite certain that the emotions that they were experiencing were all over the map. And as they rehashed the conversation, which is what you do after a moment like this, as they rehashed the conversation with Jesus, they began to realize, perhaps then, that Jesus had slowly begun to reframe for them their understanding of the kingdom of God. They thought that the kingdom of God was going to be, they were just going to ride behind Jesus and just follow him wherever they went. And all of a sudden, they began to realize that Jesus meant it when he said to them that you are going to be my witnesses and that you need to wait for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's going to help you, and that you then are going to reflect me, reflect Jesus, all across the world. And as they sat there, and they waited, and they prayed, and they ate, the whole sense of what the kingdom of God was really going to look like slowly began to change. It begins with the sense that you shall be my witness. Now, we've talked about this passage before. I think it's a significant passage. Quite honestly, some say it's the main theme of of all of Acts, really, which is that you are going to be my witness, right? And again, we oftentimes we backpedal from that. We don't like that idea that it's going to be up to me, right? And so we 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 usually think, okay, well, they're not really talking about me. They're talking about somebody else, somebody next to me, or or oftentimes they're talking about someone who's professional, you know, or 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 maybe they're talking about the person who's who's really a good Christian who seems to always have it down. The reality is, right, is that all of us know our own inadequacies. We know our own sins. We can't imagine that Jesus actually meant us, right? No, and we, we tend to over-spiritualize other people and think, oh, no, they're really good. No wonder God's using them, right? And we always get caught up because we don't want to think, no, it can't really be us, right? It's kind of like, uh, this actually happened to me uh, just this week, right, where where there's kind of awkward moments, you know, when someone's kind of a little bit distant, uh, they're far off, and they start waving, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I recognize this person or not, but but they're waving really hard, and so finally you're like alright, and you kind of like give them a wave and then all of a sudden someone behind you is like, hey! And you realize that they were waving to that person behind you? Anyone ever have that experience? That is super awkward, right? You know, and so my guess is, you know, that maybe some of us are worried, right, that we think that Jesus is like you be my witness and finally you're like, okay, you mean me? And Jesus is like, you? No, I'm talking about the guy behind you. Right? But no, Jesus says, that's not who I'm talking about. Jesus says, I'm talking about you and it's it's critical it seems to me that Luke as he tells who is there he includes Mary the mother of Jesus and certain women as we know as most of us know in that day and age women were not valued very highly and so the fact is, the reality that even in a society that said that they were lesser than oftentimes, that Jesus has had them wait. He didn't say, okay, I want you to go to the room, but please leave the women out. No, no, no. He said, I want you, all of you, you go there, that the women are there. In other words, no matter what society may say about you, no matter what you may say about yourself at times, Jesus is talking to You should say me, but not me. You should say, you know what I'm saying, right? Jesus is... He's talking to you. So no matter what you may be thinking, no matter how far in the back row you always try to sit, no matter how you may be the one who comes in late and leaves early, I know who you are. No matter what others may say about you, no matter what you may say about yourself, when you look in the mirror or look internally, here's the thing. Jesus didn't say, well, if you've got everything together and if everything is going perfectly, then you will be my witness. Jesus simply says, You will be my witness. And as I thought this week about the different kind of programs that we have and the different ministries that we have, it is always abundantly clear, whether you know this or not, that our most effective ministries are always the one that you are leading, not the ones that we are leading, whether it's through home groups, whether it's through the food pantry. I mean, probably the clearest example of this, of course, is is Great Banquet right? A great banquet that's coming up. Uh, let's see here at the end of the month. Uh, the first weekend or the last weekend really is for men. The first weekend of the next month then is for women. And, and I know that when I say great banquet, here's what happens. People feel very emotionally strong. The vast majority of people who have gone through great banquet, they say, yes, he's talking about great banquet. This is awesome. And then there are others of you who are like, ah, oh, geez, not this again, Right? it's a very there it can be very polarizing at times I know this because I talk to you all right and and I know this because I have emotions as well, right, and I know that at times it can feel like it's a little bit too much pressure at times it can feel like what well, i'm not really a Christian if i don't go through this thing and what I've learned over the last three and a half years or so is that the reason why people talk about it with such energy and excitement is not because they feel like there's something wrong with you as much as the fact that they realize just how much of a difference it has made in their own life, and they want others to experience it. Right? So if we can kind of look at it through that framework, I think it's very helpful. Will you still go to heaven? You know what? If you don't go through a great banquet and you're a follower of Jesus, of course you will. I mean, your mansion will be a little bit smaller, but you will still get there. But as I think about great banquet and the power of great banquet. It really is because it is everyday, normal Joes and Jims and Sues and Sally's who are a part of this and who are leading this, right? And by and large, these aren't people who, you know, spend five hours a day in prayer and four hours a day in scripture. Maybe some of them do, but most of them do not. These are very kind of normal followers of Jesus. And what they do, this is abnormal, is you have space for them to actually be very vulnerable and tell you about the real things in life that usually we try and hide from one another. And as they do that, what they include then as a part of these talks is how Jesus, how they have seen Jesus in the midst of that. Another way of saying this is what they do is they are witnesses to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in their life. And when I served on the leadership as a part of the leadership team, the only professional to do that this last spring, it was amazing to be able to see how the simple act of being honest and reflecting Jesus, how powerful that can be. I will be honest with you. It is more powerful than almost any sermon that you could hear is when people just say, okay, Jesus, I will actually be a witness at least this weekend and to see how God can use that. But I know. I know how hard it is to feel as if we are really up for the task, as if we are qualified. One of the great things I think about this particular passage is that Jesus it seems to me he addresses this issue Right? Because in the same breath, right, in the very same breath in which he says, you are going to be my witness, right? And, and you can imagine, like, whoa, most of the folks are like, you know, I don't think so. they are probably one or two. My guessing is Peter was probably already packing his bags. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this, Jesus. Don't worry about it, right? In the midst of that, Jesus then says, what did he say? He says, wait. Peter, sit down. You need to Wait. Because it is the Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit that is actually going to allow you to do this. In other words, Jesus says, you're right. You really cannot do this on your own. You really are not qualified. But with the power of the Spirit, you will be able to be my witness. But you have to wait. I have sometimes wondered why it is exactly that Jesus didn't just send the Spirit immediately, right? Wouldn't that make sense? You have two elevators, Jesus goes up on one, and the Holy Spirit comes down, right? If I were doing it, that's probably how I would have done it. But it seems that there is a spiritual discipline in waiting, right? Because it helps us to realize that ultimately, this really is not up to us. When you are forced to wait, especially for a group of type A folks, a group of Peters, if you will, who are always more than happy to kind of say, okay, well, what can we do? Well, you know. No, no. To wait then reminds us that it's not up to us. One commentator says that what waiting does is it cultivates a sense of expectation rather than a sense of being frantic. And if you feel like it's up to you, then you have a certain amount of franticness, if that's a word. A certain amount of sense of, okay, well, i got to take care of this. This is up to me. I have seen followers of Jesus who feel like being a witness is up to them right? That is not a fun place to be. It's not a fun place to be if you're the recipient because they just, every, you know, every chance, right? We've talked about this before. Every chance, you know, that they ever have, you know, oh, well, why don't you, you know, you go down to the crossroad, which reminds me of the cross. Have I told you about Jesus lately, right? And every single time, right? And there's a sense of franticness about it, right? Whereas, when you cultivate a sense of expectation, what you are doing is you are going out into the world having waiting and know that it was the Spirit, and you are waiting, you are looking for the open door. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, well, we'll this kind of way God will provide. No, no, no. You go out with the sense of expectation and a hope that there is going to be someplace and somewhere in that day that you can reflect the love and grace of Jesus to someone. It heightens a sense of expectation, a sense of hope, a sense of joy that on this day that there will be some opportunity, not because I have not because it's up to me, but because God wants to provide opportunity for you to be able to reflect the love and grace of Jesus. But it only comes as we wait for the Spirit of God. And we wait wherever it is that God sends us. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, on the one hand, that's actually not that helpful. I mean, Jesus might as well have just said, everywhere, right? I mean, because that's kind of oh, right, everything, right? But on the other hand, it seems to me the strength of that is that what Jesus does is he says, okay, I want you to look seriously. How are you doing in Jerusalem at being a witness? How are you doing in Judea? How are you doing in Samaria? How are you doing at the ends of the earth? And to look at them as distinct places for God's love and grace. Right? Samaria is probably the hardest one. This is, this is how are you being a witness with people who you don't really like or the people with whom you disagree with. Maybe it's a particular person. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's whatever else it might be. And right now, if I were to say, who is a Samaritan in your life? Who is somebody that you really don't like? Don't look at that person. But my guess is that somebody or some group comes to your mind. So Jesus says... I want you to think about that, and I want you to pray about the way that you can be some kind of witness even to that person. In many ways, I actually think being a, being a witness to those to the ends of the earth, maybe kind of the simplest, unless of course you're called to go there full time, and that's a whole other ball game. But I have discovered, at least for me, that when you when you go across the sea in order to be a witness, that you you're you're focused on that, you're expecting it, right? Usually it's it's wrapped up in prayer, and you go there, and they don't know you, right? So you don't feel you know they don't know who you really are, right? So you can go and you can reflect Jesus, right? You don't have some of those old fears and vulnerabilities, right? Maybe even uh, maybe even when it says Judea. Which I, which I think is just kind of, you know, those places that are a little further away. Let's say something like Shepherd Community or Straight Up, right? Other kind of ministries that aren't to the ends of the earth but are a little ways away. I think even then, maybe in some ways, it's easy to be a witness. I think actually almost as much, if not as much, as Samaria, the hardest place to be a witness is probably in Jerusalem. Now, where is Jerusalem? Well, where are the disciples? They're in Jerusalem. So where are we called to be a witness? If we're called to be a witness in Jerusalem, we're called to be a witness right where we are. And I really think that may be the most difficult place for us to be a witness, right? For various and sundry reasons, right? One of them, again, being because of the fact that other people know us, right? And so if we try to reflect the love and grace of Jesus, right, someone might be like, come on, Jerry, I remember you in college, right? Maybe that may be a little bit more difficult, right? Or I also think it's because we don't expect it to happen. Right? We don't pray that much for it to happen right where we work, live, or play. Why? Because, well, we're just living life, right? This is just kind of busyness, right? We're doing work, we're running this way or that way with the kids, or we're, we're going on vacation, or, we, or we're coming to church, or we're, we're, we're playing games, whatever else it might be. We're just kind of, this is just living life, and we don't really take the time to wait on the Lord and to expect That God may do something right where we are. This just seems ordinary. It makes sense to go across the globe and to see God work in amazing ways. It's a little more difficult in our day in and day out to actually expect to see Jesus work and to think about how we might be a witness to that. I was thinking about that when it comes to uh, even right here, literally right here within these four walls. What does it look like? For us to be a witness here in the sanctuary or in the gathering space, what does that look like? I was thinking about that because I was, um, recently kind of read uh, through a book that was talking about, you know, how, do we, how we welcome people and how we are hospitable, especially to, to first-time folks or second-time folks. And one of the interesting things that it said was that, or the frame that it gave was, have you ever looked at visitors as if they are just as if they are gifts? I'd say, I'm i not sure I've ever looked at them as gifts. I thought, well, visitors are great. You know, it's always fun to have a visitor. You get to know somebody new. Maybe they're, you know, going to come bring something to the church. Or maybe they're going to, you know, come be a part of what we're doing here. That's great. But I don't think I've ever necessarily thought about them as being gifts. Right? And one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of months, we've seen quite a few visitors or guests who have, who have kind of come through. And, and it makes you wonder. We talked about this at session on Tuesday and at staff on Wednesday. How are we doing at being stewards? Of, of the guests that come in here, right, of the gifts that come here. If we begin to see this, have you ever seen a, a first person come in, someone maybe you don't recognize, and have you ever seen, you know what, maybe this person is a gift from God? And, and what are we doing? How are we doing at welcoming them? Right? Now, you may think, well, that's just being welcome, or that's just good business, or how is that really being a witness? Well, it is being a witness. Let me remind you that in the Old Testament, more than once, God talks about the fact that we are called to welcome the stranger who is in our midst. Right? Just as God has welcomed us. When you look at the life of Jesus, guess what he was doing a lot of? Thank you, Don. Welcoming. Right? Wherever you went, Don was or Don. <laughs> Jesus and Don were welcoming people. Right? This is a part of reflecting God. And the other thing is, this may surprise you, but if we walk around when we're within this place, in this building, and we're busy going this or that, or we, we clearly don't want to talk to people, or we just kind of seem a little bit grouchy. Now again, I know this may surprise you, but the odds of somebody coming up to you and saying, will you please tell me more about this God who makes you really busy and grouchy? I'd love to hear more about him. The odds are not great. Because that's already the life that most people are leading. What people want to know is, how do you become a person of peace and joy? How do you become a person of grace and forgiveness? How do you become a person of welcome? And that only happens, it seems to me, when we are willing to be a people who are welcoming, a willing people who are willing to be witnesses in Jerusalem. But of course, it also means in our neighborhoods. Now, you know I can only go about six weeks without mentioning the importance of loving our literal neighbors, right? When we did that Who's Your Neighbor series last year, I was in heaven. It was great. I had like seven or eight weeks to talk about nothing but that. I will keep talking about it because increasingly I am convinced that how people will experience the love and grace of Jesus for the first time will not be when they walk through the doors, but is when somebody who they know outside of this building gets to meet them and care for them and begin to get to know them. Right, And since the Who's Your Neighbor series, it's been great. I mean, I've loved, I continually get to hear stories about how ZPCers are caring for their neighbors, right? Maybe moving into a place and then going out and delivering cookies or, or seeing a new neighbor and the next day inviting them over for dinner. I mean, these are great stories. This week I heard a couple of great stories. One is a story about how getting to know their neighbor was more dog-initiated than God-initiated. It's a great story. I really wanted to tell it, but I realized I was running out of time, so I'm not going to. It's called a tease just wait. It's a great story. But I also heard another story this week, about a ZPCer who they had a little cul-de-sac party and, and, and they went over, right? And they lived in this place for, I think, 20 years and they, you know, they went over and they got to know some folks and there was a neighbor there who'd been there for a couple of years but they never really had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to really get to know them at all. And so they, 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 they had a conversation. They were able to kind of get to know each other and the next day, as, 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 as this ZPCer was outside in her a, in a front yard or, or someplace, that neighbor who she had talked about, who she had seen or talked to the night before, Says, hey, why don't you come over? Come into our garden. You know, I've got some. I've got some vegetables over here. Come and come and come, you know, come take a step over here. Here, let me give you some of these. And I thought, this is genius. They created space to get to know one another, and because of that, the next day this person was able to take one more step closer to that which was important to this person. One step closer to their garden. One step closer to their home. One step closer, perhaps, to their heart. Guess. What? This is what I want you to know. It is not difficult. Even if you're an introvert. It doesn't mean, if you're an introvert, I get it. I'm not an introvert, but I get it. Okay, I've read about it. (laughs) It doesn't mean that you need to know every single neighbor in your block. But maybe it's one neighbor this whole year. And it is about simply creating space. Prayerfully creating space where the Holy Spirit can be at work. Because you never know how creating that space may take you one step closer to more fully being able to reflect Jesus to that person. Throughout the next several weeks, up until November through November, we're going to be looking at this letter of Acts. And we're going to be asking more and more questions about what it means to be a community that really witnesses, that reflects God to the world or in our world. Sometimes we're going to be asking, well, you know, what does that mean about us? How might we change in order for that to happen? Sometimes we may be looking more at the world and what are the areas, what are the places in the world where really we need most, where Jesus is most needed. My hope and my prayer, though, is that as we do that, that you will prayerfully go through this series together. One of the things, is, I was thinking about this, the very first week that we did Who's Your Neighbor, we had a homework assignment. I'm not going to ask you if you remember what it was, because I already know that you do. And here's what it was, just to remind you. It was... Not to go knock on every door in your neighborhood, but it was to walk the neighborhood and pray. Much like an axe. And so, my hope is that perhaps this week, maybe you go out. It should be you know, pretty good weather again until the remnants of Irma, if they come up this way. But other than that, you could certainly go out. Today's a pretty nice day, isn't it? We could be in Florida right? Today's a beautiful day. Maybe today's a day that you go out and walk. Maybe, maybe what you do is you come to the church at some point this week. Maybe even you come, you know, a little bit before worship. <laughs> Anyways, but you come, and maybe you just walk around the sanctuary, or you walk through the building, and you pray for the gifts that are going to be coming, or the gifts that come through the food pantry, Right? Maybe that's what you do. Or maybe you spend this time kind of praying for one of the ministries you know, that we have and asking, Lord, in what way might I be a part of that? In what way might I be able to be there? What way may the Spirit come upon me so that I can be a witness to that place or even to the ends of the earth? Whatever it is, my hope and my prayer is that this week you will pray, not as a way of procrastinating, but as a way of anticipating. Right? Not as a way of putting it off, but as a way of raising the expectation that God longs to do a new work in you. And that if we pray for the Spirit of God, that it will give us the power to be able to go out, no matter who we are, and reflect the amazing love and grace of Jesus in our world. Until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus comes back through the clouds, bringing his kingdom of grace and peace. May it be so. Amen. And let's pray.